may be seated. I normally try and get you out of here by 11.20. I don't think I'm going to make it today. All right. So I just wanted to warn you, if you get done before I do, that's cool. I get it. It's okay. It's no problem. I'm not going to be mad. I'm not even going to be hurt. Um, I, I've been there. But um, I need to talk to you about things you need to know and you need to believe and that I need to believe. And I wish I could sit here and tell you that everything I'm going to talk about today, I am walking in strongly. Uh, I am stumbling in. That's what I'm going to teach you on stuff I'm, walk, I'm stumbling around in. Okay? And we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And um, I tell you what, the church needs truth and spirit. She needs truth and spirit. We have to have both. And uh, I love the song of uh, Tarn, Tarn Wells. He talks in, in that line. He talks about we have to have radical truth and we have to have uh, amazing um, love. And we can't, they have to both be extreme. That's how God rolls. God does he holds ideas in tension between two paradoxes, between two, two ideas. And so today we're talking about the Holy Spirit in the supernatural, and we are, we're talking about your superpower. And uh, we'll get into that in just a minute. And, uh, but I, I'm going to start, I want to make this statement to begin with, and I, I, this is where I'm trying to, the idea I'm trying to support throughout this whole message, and it's simply this. People that are filled with God are Satan's worst nightmare. That's today's big idea. People filled with God are Satan's worst nightmare. See, we live in a world that um, we wonder about, we whine about. To be honest, we whine a lot, you know, don't we? Like, oh, you know. How many, how many of you are about to turn off Facebook? You're like, I'm, just, I'm already tired of 2020, and we haven't even started yet. I'm just like, I'm over it, okay? Um, I get it. I'm, I'm there with you. You know, Paul said this in Timothy. He said, uh, you should know this, Timothy. So, is he just saying, Timothy, here's something you should know, or is he saying, Timothy, you should have already figured this out? I don't know. Timothy, Timothy, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money, they'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving, they will slander others and have no self-control, they will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. So stay away from people like that. We read those passages and we look at our world. And by the way, the passion with which that passage was read 30 years ago, before we had any idea the world could look like it does right now, uh, was, was violent. I mean, in, I remember in the 80s, my pastor talking about Jesus has just got to show up any day, you know. Um, he's waiting, so anyway, <laughs> he's not back yet. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, so it can seem like that the darkness is winning. That's all I'm saying. It can seem like the darkness is winning. But just because things look a certain way doesn't mean they're really that way. It just doesn't mean that they're that way. And we need to fix our view on it as Christians, as believers. And, and if you're sitting here today and you don't know if you're a believer, I'll be, I'll, we'll talk in just a minute, okay? So just hang tight. But you Christians, uh, believers, followers of Christ, 
we've got to fix our mindset. And in April 1st, 1945, it was an Easter Sunday. Um, we invaded Okinawa. We expected it to be the, the highest losses of any battle in World War II up to that point. Normandy was a tragedy, but we expected it to be worse. So April 1st, the invasion began. If you've ever seen the movie Hacksaw Ridge, that was one part of the battle that happened on the, around the 26th of April. The battle lasted 81 days. The, the odd thing was is that when the Marines stormed the beach the, on, at Okinawa, they met no resistance. It was a trap. They were trying to lure them into the island so that they could slaughter them. And so the battle took 81 days. By the time it was over, on the 81st day, 160,000 U.S. and Japanese soldiers were dead. 160,000 people are gone. The dust settles. People are, the survivors covered in dirt and blood are standing there. And, and this, was, this was by far the bloodiest battle of the Pacific, which is really saying something I should, should add. They had no idea when that battle was done that at, that would be the last battle of the war. They did not look like victory. It just looked like one island. But two things happened and that, that made it the last battle. One was Russia invaded, and two was the atomic bomb. Last battle, and nobody knew it. What am I trying to tell you? Things can look really dark. They can look like you're losing it can look like darkness is prevailing, and you may not see victory until the surrender is signed. You know what I'm saying? You never know when your last battle is going to be. And so, Church of God, I started by saying, the enemy's terrified of you. You're his worst nightmare. You filled with God are his worst nightmare. And so today, I want you to step into that battle a little bit. I want you to think about where we are in this. Because you are the invasion force. The cross was the, was the atomic bomb. And you're invading. And we're here to win this thing. We're, we're not waiting. Hear me and hear me well. We are not waiting for Jesus to rescue us. And if I could push that thinking out of the church today, if I could rebuke it, I would. This idea that church, we're just sitting around all pathetic-like, hoping Jesus comes back and rescues us out of this mess. Get over that thinking. That is not true. Jesus died to put God in you. Jesus died to put God in you. That's the gospel. That's the mystery that Paul talked about. And it changes everything. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in, the rich, in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. God's plan is to use you to show off his power. He's going to do everything through you. He's going to defeat the enemy through you. You are the battle force, the victors. That is you. Oh, man. Oh, after they saw, uh, listen to this. Here, by the way, here is also you. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and winter and language and people in language standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed with white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. You know who that is? The winners. The winners. 
and that is you. We got to get this mindset in us because the enemy is lying to you and he's telling you he's bigger than you and he's scarier than you and he's more powerful than you and he's telling you that those addictions are never getting out of your life and you're never going to beat those sins and your marriage is never going to get better and your kids are never going to mature like they're supposed to and he's telling you every day that you're never going to go stronger and you're never going to be powerful in God and you're never going to have a strong faith just over and over he whispers in your ear never no not he is so negative and he is so wrong. Amen? So let's get there, and we have to take a journey to get there, which is usually the case. We have to go through some ideas. Some things have to happen before you and I can walk in the power that is implanted in us through Christ's actions. And the first thing that has to happen is paradise has to be restored. We've got to get back to Eden. What does that mean? In Genesis 2.9, the Word of God tells us that in the middle of the garden, in the center of the garden, God had two trees. The tree of life, which I'm going to nickname in a minute, so bear with me, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and God said to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, I think that's how it may have started, and he said, here's the tree of life, eat that one. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that one, okay? This was not a choice. This was not God saying, you know, you can pick which one you want to eat. He said, no, just like you tell your toddler. No, and Adam and Eve like toddlers. Yes, anyway. So what happened? The great divorce happened. Adam and Eve chose the knowledge of good and evil over life. Now what does that mean? They were basically dethroning God in that decision. They were saying, I want to decide what's right and wrong. I'll decide. Just give me the information, and I'll be God to me. That was the decision in the Garden of Eden. I just called it the great divorce. I think I got that from Lewis. What was that about? In choosing good, and choosing the knowledge of good and evil... They were actually divorcing love because God is love. And they're saying, ah, we, don't want, we don't want love. We want to decide ourselves. So now Adam and Eve are entering into a, a, a course of life where they decide good and evil, but they have no source for love. So how do you have good without love. You don't. That is correct. You don't have good without love. In fact, all that good can come out of in this scenario is guilt and shame. Look at the world today without God. Look out in the media. Look at the stuff that's making the news. What do they use to manipulate people? Because that's what's happening, by the way. You turn, every time you turn on the radio, the TV, you're being manipulated. What do they use to manipulate people into action, guilt and shame. Over and I could give you illustrations, but I'm not going to go down that road. Plus, that the sermon is long enough. Okay, so think about this. What has happened in the Garden of Eden is they wanted the knowledge of good and evil, but in leaving love, they left the, any hope for anything actually good. 
And so now the only good that can be accomplished comes from the place of guilt and shame, which is why Isaiah says we're all infected and impure with sin. When we display our righteous deeds, they are nothing but filthy rags. Like autumn leaves, we wither and fall, and our sins sweep us away like the wind. This is the fall. This is what's broken with all of humanity. We have divorced God who is love, and now the only good we can accomplish can only come out of guilt and shame. So we'll always be shrouded in darkness and shadow. That's the state of the world. And that's you. If you have, before you met Christ as Lord and Savior, before you enthroned Him in your life, that was you. Your only hope for good was shadowed and guilt and shame. You don't even know what's good yet until you meet Father God. Does that make sense? So now I want to nickname the trees, one of the trees. There are two trees in the garden, and I think this will help set in contrast what was really happening. So you have the tree of life, and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So I want to, re- I want to nickname the tree of life. You ready? <clears throat> if only I were ready, that would be totally amazing, wouldn't it? John 17, 3. And this is the way to have eternal life. Here's, this is eternal life. You ready? To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. What is life? It's knowing God. Knowing Jesus. That's life. So now, let's look at the trees. Let's nickname the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of God. And then we go to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do you see the contrast now? Do you see what was really at stake We rejected knowing our Father and embraced making our own decisions and enthroned ourselves in our own lives as God. This is what the gospel's about. This is what the gospel restores. So Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross and he gave us the gospel and declares Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the gospel. Jesus is Lord. That's the simplicity of it. And so now we come to Jesus, we declare him Lord, we take ourselves out of the throne of our life, we enthrone Christ on that throne, and that is how people are saved. That process restores Eden. It restores original intent of Father God to walk in relationship and to be known by his creation. That's what the gospel does. Does that make sense? Okay, so we're there. We're all trusting Christ. By the way, if you've never placed your faith in Christ, it's time to get that done today. I'm going to have people in the service at that great table. Maybe that one. At least for sure this one, I know, okay? And so you need to simply admit, confess your sins before God. Realize that I am on the throne of my life and I need to step down. And you enthrone God. You trust him. Confess him as Lord of your life. and, and, And believe that God raised him from the dead. You begin that. Others can explain it better than I just took. So make sure you get that done today. Now... The gospel is a result of the work of one guy. His name was Jesus. Yeah, let's try it again. The gospel is the work of one guy. His name was Jesus. That was a pop quiz, and um, there's only one question. And anyway, but God will accept God because, you know, it's who Jesus is. So who's Jesus? Who is he? He's God. Is he divine? You like a superhero? Is he a lunatic? I'm telling you, man, I love it. When, I love it when people. Even the Quran says Jesus was a prophet. Jesus never claimed to be a prophet. Okay, you look at it. People say, "Well, you know, I think Jesus was a good dude." 
I'm going to tell you what, the last thing Jesus was was a good dude. Have you read the Gospel of John? It's pretty much 21 chapters of, 22 chapters of, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God, I'm God. So either Jesus is exactly who he says he is, or he's a lunatic, okay? Really, that's what you have to decide. And I love to present it in those terms because that's exactly the terms you need to think of it in. It forces a decision in my small but very southern mind, okay? And so, who is this Jesus guy? Was Jesus just God merely visiting earth and doing what man could, could not? Or is there a little bit more to that story? So, let's, let's look at something. Uh, Philippians 2. I'm sorry, my nose is, uh, I'm going to sniffle a bit. <clears throat> I'm allergic to you guys. <sighs> you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Look at verse 7. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he acquired, I'm sorry, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. All right. <clears throat> ah, sorry, I keep wanting to set this down because I want to run around and jump and shout. And... The verse tells in verse 7 that he set aside his divine privilege. We're under the impression that when Jesus Christ came to earth, he was really just God pretending to be human. And theologically, we would say, how we would state it in, in simple terms, is Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. But what does that mean? That Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And what does it mean when we find out in Philippians 2, 7 that, God, that Jesus set aside his divine privilege in heaven and then came to earth and humbled as a, and, and lived obedient to God the Father? What does all of that mean? Well, think of it this way. Uh, for the younger folks, um, I mean, that's anybody under me. <laughs> Thor lost his hammer. All of a sudden, his divinity, his godlikeness is, is gone. Aragon, for the little bit older ones. The sword that had to be reformed. His rule as king is separated from him. It hasn't been reforged as yet. Uh, for the really young kids, and the, uh, what I can understand is, Jesus left his super suit in heaven. How's that? What does that mean? What, what am I trying to say? There are lots of myths about Jesus that love to portray him doing miracles in his childhood, but that is myth. That is not true. How do I know that? Because the reason Jesus could do miracles was because the Holy Spirit was in him. Acts 10.38. Okay? He could only do miracles because the Holy Spirit was in him. When did that happen? At the baptism. And at the baptism, John the Baptist said that he saw the Spirit of God descend upon Jesus like a dove. And John went on to say that Jesus is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the Spirit without limit. Okay? 
That's how Jesus did it. So why does this matter? Why does this matter? But here's why it matters. Because when we think of Jesus, we put him out here and we say, well, yes, but Jesus was God. Jesus did this stuff. Yeah, but Jesus was God. Okay? So here's the thing I'm trying to tell you. Yes, Jesus was God. That a part of him was unique. He was born sinless. That was necessary so that the gospel could actually be acquired. But he was also, he lived as example. Okay? He lived as example. His life was a demonstration of what a child of God's life should be when filled with the Spirit of God. Does that make sense? So, yeah. Jesus is pretty amazing. What did he come to do? Well, verse John 3, 8 says he came to destroy the works of the devil. Okay? So, what does this have to do with you? Well, you're here to be like Jesus. You're here to be a person filled with God. You see, Jesus was the last Adam. John tell, uh, Paul tells us in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15. He says, Jesus is the last Adam. He was the, the last shot at redemption is what basically that means. The first Adam blew it. The last Adam, there would not be another one, fixed it. Okay? Excuse me. He also says he's the second man. What does that mean? It means that, that what Jesus came to do ended one thing and started another thing. What did he start? Oh, I'm just, you guys ask all the right questions every Sunday. It blows my mind. God knew his people in advance, chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus was the beginning of something, something the world hadn't seen before. The world had seen prophets and had seen the Spirit upon people, but the world had never seen a human being inhabited by the Spirit of God. And that's one of the key differences between the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, we have a visitational culture. The Holy Spirit shows up and visits people, moves on people, may move on them most of or all of their life, but it's a visitational culture. In the New Testament, we have a habitational culture. The Holy Spirit inhabits God's children. Now, if you would think about that for a little bit, you'd get a little bit excited because you begin to realize, I may feel alone. I may feel like I'm walking through life alone, but I'm actually inhabited by the very Spirit of the Most Holy God, the Eternal One. I mean, the guy who's at the steering wheel of the universe lives inside of me, man. Oh, so you and I are here to be, to represent Jesus Christ and be filled with God's Spirit as he was and take on his mission, which is to destroy the works of the, minutes of the enemy. And I want to present a verse that's going to be problematic for you, and I'm so happy to do it. <laughs> uh, Jesus said in John 14, 12, a verse we don't want to talk about. A verse we don't want to talk about because we can't see it. But Paul tells me to live by what's not seen, not by what is. And Paul, or God says, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. When Jesus says, I tell you the truth, what do you think he's telling you? Good, good answer. Good job. Way to go. I found people do better on quizzes when I give them the answers first. <laughs> anyone who believes in me, anyone, say anyone. anyone. That is weird. 
Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to the Father. Are you challenged right now? Be challenged. It's okay. Be challenged. Be challenged. The verse isn't done. Or the, the passage isn't done. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. So that the Son can bring glory to the Father and yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Do you hear this? Jesus, twice, twice in one passage, Jesus said, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Come on, ask me for any, come on, ask me for something. You are, thank you. Oh, there's tissue coming from all over the place. All right, we'll cut this out of the recording. over there <clears throat> I'm still going to sniffle there's no way around it today I'm sorry I know that's irritating but it's just the enemy trying to keep you from hearing what I'm trying to tell you about so um, I, uh, honey I, I, I'm going to tell a story that I need you to correct me on okay so this is her job she, <laughs> she remembers stuff I misquote stuff that's how this works okay it's our, it's our relationship it's good so anyway um <clears throat> All these things I've told you about, here's Jesus now saying you're going to do greater works than all these kind of things. And, and you're looking at your life where greater works are not happening, and I get that. But I want, to, I want to echo, I want to descend into something that you will agree with me on, that you will, you will get, okay? So uh, let, me, let me get there by telling you a little story. A couple days ago, I'm sitting at our table in our dining room area of our house, and I'm talking to my amazing wife. And uh, as, as we're talking, Cayman runs in, and uh, which is something came and does. He runs in, he runs out, he disappears, he vanishes, he reappears, things, it's crazy. But uh, anyway, so Cayman runs in. He's dressed in a karate outfit and uh, have his Jacob's robe on thing, that colorful, had on this colorful coat. Um, I think he had a cape on, some kind of, maybe a hat of some kind. He had the cape on backwards, that's right. He had a cape on like an apron. And he runs in and he says to me, and I'm going to get this wrong, but this, it was something like this here. He says, I said, who are you? And he says, uh, I'm Captain Marvel Donut Man. <laughs> and I thought to myself, finally, a superhero I can get behind. <laughs> Someone I can support. So much better than the other ones that are out there. And so, anyway, Cayman's always doing that. He's always, some days he's Spider-Man. Some days he's Dash out of the Incredibles. And, and some days he's all of those in turn. And then he mixes them all together. And then he invents his own. This need for that, that superhero thing. And that's why we like those films. It, beck, it beckons to us. We all want to be the superhero. I mean, we just, we want to be able to just bulletproof-like charge into any situation and change it and make it better. And we want this from the time that we're children. I mean, no one has to teach you this. You just, one day you're out on the edge of the roof trying to jump off the house to see if you can fly, right? And your parents either catch you or go to the emergency room with you, one or the other. It's, it's there. It's in you. This desire to be so much more than anyone expects. Where does that come from? I say, well, we're just immature children. But doesn't God say that if you're going to come to me, you've got to come like a child? Isn't it true that maybe there's something in your childhood that has more faith than your adulthood could ever have? I mean, really, have you, no one tries to jump off the roof of the house when they're an adult. Well, maybe a couple of you. 
Maybe that's the echo of the Father's voice in you. Maybe it's the Spirit saying, you're more than this. You're more than make the donuts. Old reference, you'll get it later. Or look it up on something. You're, you're more than just making money and paying bills and taking vacations and getting sick and getting healthy and retiring and dying. You're more than this. You're super. There's a song that Five for Fighting did several years ago. I want to read the lyrics to you. I think it captures this. I'm only a man in a silly red sheet digging for kryptonite on this one-way street. Only a man in a funny red sheet looking for special things inside of me. Inside of me, I'm only a man in a funny red sheet. I'm only a man looking for a dream. That was a, sorry, a big hit. And it's one that resonated with us. Because ah, it's that voice of Father that whispers to us over and over again, you're a lot more than this. So I want us today to get past our fear. I want us to get past the fear of failure, the fear of sin, the fear that of the future and what could be. I want us to start believing. Believing what? Just making up things to believe? Well, you know I don't mean that. Believing what God says about us. The Bible says in Romans 5, 5 and 6, And this hope will not lead to disappoint, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. One of the things I love about Paul is is the many times he uses the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our life to demonstrate that God is actually in our life. Sagebrush. Somebody's going to be wearing sagebrush today. Done a new cologne going on. No, I'm just kidding. Ah, excuse me. Before I jump on into what we are, one more verse. Romans 5, 17. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. I just Before we get into these things that God has for us, I just want to remind you that your sin's been taken care of. Your failure's been taken care of. When God, when God got into you, he knew what he was getting into. He knew your whole life. And, and I know a lot of you, the enemy uses the sins that you fall into even today as attacks and assaults. And, and, and I don't know how you are, but myself, if I sin, I, like, I feel like I'm under a 24-hour penalty box period with God, you know, or something like that, or maybe it's a week or, or whatever, which is so stupid. Jesus, Jesus died to forgive your sins, like now, you know, and, and so I feel like, though, I'm not doing God justice if I don't feel like I'm in trouble for a period of time. And so I just want you to know that what God has done for you is, first of all, he ended everything that was done in Adam, and everything that's done in is greater than anything Adam ever did. Look at this world around you, man. Look how broken this place is. Look how many people are getting hurt, people getting used. Horrible things are happening. That is something Adam did. That came out of Adam's choice to rule 
his own life without love. And what Christ did, what God did through Christ is even greater. It's greater than Adam. It's, think, come on, it's greater than him. The world is wrecked because of Adam's choice, and now the world can be redeemed because of Jesus' choice. This is greater. This wonderful grace is greater, and it's his gift. It's his gift. Gift. Say gift. Let that sink in for a minute, man. Yeah, uh, you make mistakes. God knew you were going to. He died for all of them, wrapped them all in Christ. You confess your sins. He's faithful, just. He forgives the sins. Instead of sitting around sulking in the sin that you failed in, why don't you celebrate in the God who won over the sin in your life? Because God tells me this. He says, for, for all who receive it will live. Say, will live. In triumph. Say triumph. Triumph. triumph over sin and death. This is God's kids living in victory. This is what's ours. This is our inheritance. This is what Jesus died for. This is what Jesus died for. He did not die for a bunch of pathetic people sitting around waiting for a rescue mission from heaven. He died for a bunch of victors to live in triumph over sin and death. Yes, I am trying to fire you up. Because the enemy tried to attack me, and I'm making him pay. All right? Next time he comes after us. Anyway, so back on to this. Okay. So the greatest threat to darkness, to Satan, to the enemy, to those demons we talked about a couple weeks ago, the greatest threat is you filled with God. That's the greatest threat. The enemy terrifies him. He knows what you're capable of. He knows the warriors that are in this room. He knows what will happen when you start to believe the things that God has said about you. He knows how much trouble that he will be in. But he's not real scared at the moment. He's terrified of what could be, but at the moment, he's looking at a bunch, a room full of people, probably churches full of people around the country today, and he looks at these people, and it makes him mad that you're forgiven, makes him furious that you've been adopted into God's family, and you've been given brand new hearts. It just makes him sick that now you're new creations, just like Jesus Christ is, and that you, of all people, have been accepted into God's family. It just infuriates him, but... He's not that scared of us yet because we're walking around a bunch of rich kids living in poverty. We have all of this that's been given to us, and where's our joy and peace? Where's our freedom from fear and bondage and our freedom from sin? Why are we depressed and anxious? Why are we struggling with addiction and sins in our life if all of those other things, all those experiences, those realities have been purchased for us by the blood of Jesus Christ? So guys, it's time to move out of that poverty. It's time to move out of that poverty thinking that keeps you stressed and, and worried about you and your eyes focused intently upon your circumstances. One thing you should know about circumstances, facts... In this world, if you haven't learned this by now, I don't know how to help you. Facts are open to interpretation. One group takes facts and twists them one way, and another group takes facts and twists them another way. The only thing that doesn't happen is that facts don't. I said that backwards. Facts always get twisted. Forget that doesn't. Facts always get twisted by somebody. Okay? And so we need to learn to live as Christians. And I'm not talking super Christians. I don't need you to put on a cape. 
You're capable of super things, but before you get there, let's talk about what it means to be a normal Christian. And it's funny to me that James, book of James, earliest form of New Testament theology, book of James, Paul has a whole lot to add to the work of James, but James is foundational. You get in the book of James, and James takes a guy from the Old Testament, Elijah. Now, who was Elijah? Prophet of God, good dresser. You have to look it up to find out what I'm talking about. Um, he approaches King Ahab and says, hey, not going to rain till I say. That's how it went down. Ahab got a little upset, perturbed. Over three years. Over three years. By the way, i got to throw this in there. When God did send the rain, he told Elijah, said, okay, it's time, pray for the rain. Elijah had to pray seven times for the rain to show up that God told him to pray for. Seven times. Okay? You need to follow that back for another sermon sometime. But I'm just, that's amazing. But anyway, here's Elijah. He, he has got the Spirit of God on him in a huge way. He stands down 400 prophets of Baal. I mean, they want him dead. Jezebel wants him dead. He fearlessly stands up there, stands them down. They're dead at the end of the day. He outruns a chariot. I mean, God, like, gives him superhuman speed to outrun King Ahab's chariot. That actually happened. Um, yeah, he got depressed. Then he goes and he hears from God. Well, he took a nap. He ate and took a nap, and then he went to hear from God. Hallelujah. All right. <laughs> Uh, Elijah was, was so, uh, so had the Holy Spirit on him in such a way that uh, when he's going to be snatched up into heaven by the chariots of fire, he uh, rolls up his coat into like a makeshift rod and slaps the Jordan with it, and it splits for no other reason than the convenience of Elijah to cross the river, okay? Does that make sense to you? That's the power of God that's on this guy. And you're suddenly going, oh man, there you go, superhero Christian. Not James. James says, Elijah was a human as we are, and yet, when he prayed earnestly. And I'll stop there. So we need to move out of the super-Christian concept. There are not levels of Christians. There are just people saved by God's grace, filled with God. That's all they are. And so we need to move on out of that kind of thinking. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That means something. That changes things. That changes, that changes everything. When the Holy Spirit dwells in you, if you're born again, the very Spirit of the living God, the star breather, the creator of the universe, lives in you. God inhabits you. Is there anything now that's impossible? This needs to be a core tenet of our faith all the time. Nothing's impossible. Nothing's, is anything impossible for God? He can walk into any situation and change it. He can do anything he wants to do. And, he can, and he'll do it in a way that blesses all people involved. This is how God works. And he lives in you. I'm seriously, what would it be like to take a walk one day, hang out with a God who, with whom nothing is impossible? Would that not be cool? <laughs> People's legs would be growing out. Dead people, funerals would be ruined. be awesome. And he lives in you. So we got to start changing the way we think about ourselves. Last night, I got, uh, I got tired. Sometimes my prayer time starts like this. <sighs> and then it starts out like, Papa, I'm just tired. 
Uh, that's actually a favorite way of mine to start praying nowadays. Paul said that God told him, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. God in you changes everything. God in you makes your weaknesses a potential for God to invade your life and the lives of those who are near you. Things have changed for you. David said, the Lord my God lights up my darkness. I, I, th I always thought David was kind of a manic depressive, so that really blows my mind. He lights up my darkness. In your strength I can crush an army. With my God I can scale any wall. This is what David thought about his God. Do you think about God like that? Because we need to expand our understanding of what God can be like living inside of you. That the Holy Spirit inside of you can do the things that you cannot do. That now things are possible in your life. They're possible in the lives of those you love. They're possible in the world that you care about. Things are possible now because of this Spirit of God living inside you. And so right now I'm just going to rant for a while about all this stuff that is going on inside of you. First of all, realize that God has not withheld Jesus from you. The Bible says in Romans 8.32, Since God did not spare even His own Son but gave Him up for us all, won't He also give us everything else? That he has poured his son into you. That his son died on a cross for you. Does that not reveal to you God's heart for you? How active and pursuing that heart is for you. Please, please change that mind concept that puts God far in the past or far into space or way out in eternity. This is a God who is after you, who is with you, who is walking with you, who loves you and cares about you. If he gave up Jesus for you, what else? What what would he withhold? And he gave up his only son, right? Amen? Oh, God's predestined you. I'm like, oh, I love that word. To what? To be conformed to the image of his son. Let us not state the word beyond what the word states. God's plan is to make you like Jesus. I think that's exciting. However, Jesus wasn't received that well. Well, that could be a challenge. Is this too hard? Do you think it's too hard for God to make you like Jesus? Think about that for a second, because we live like it is. I mean, God, I know you've saved Paul and made him a great apostle, but I think I'm too big a job for you. I don't think the Holy Spirit can handle all of this. Really? Isn't that how we live? We wake up in the day, oh, it's going to be a rough day. I don't think God can handle this one. Man, we need to wrap our head around the fact that God gave up his own son for us. He's gonna, he said, what could he possibly withhold for you? God asked the question, if I gave you my son, what could I withhold? And then the plan is to make you like Jesus. That's the plan. Now, excuse me, I know you want to be rich. Maybe there's a version of Jesus that's rich. I don't know, but... The goal is to make you like Jesus, okay? That's always his plan, okay? So, now, God's good. <clears throat> Excuse me, I, got, I needed you to say all the time so I could cover that sniffle. And you totally failed me. So anyway, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus is in you. He's given up Jesus for you. He's going to con con 
form you to his son. And then Ephesians 3.20, which I'm going to come back to in a minute, but it also, I want to read it now. It says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. God's like, here, have some wild dreams. Oh, I'm going to blow those away. I'm going to blow those away. Whatever they are, I'm going to exceed that. Nothing is too hard for God. Nothing is impossible. In your life, nothing's impossible. You believe it? Let's say it. I don't think you believe it. Nothing is impossible. One more time. One, two, three. Nothing is impossible. Jesus paid for that. Died on a cross for that. Took the stripes for that. Nothing's impossible now. Nothing's impossible. Okay? So, he changed those kind of things. So God has promised some things to us. He promised he'd be with you. I, uh, I'm working on a blog article right now, and one of the things that I'm, that I was struck, and this is a, 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 an article for married couples, but it's, I was struck by, again, by that place in us, that I call it the aloneness, that there's just a place in all people, it seems, that is just can never be, can never have a companion in. It's just like you're, you're even in marriage, there's just this alone place. And, and it, it hurts us, and I, and I hate the aloneness, and it's a product of the fall and all those kind of things. But redemption and salvation is about that. God agrees and wants to join you in that aloneness. And because of him, you're never actually alone. And so uh, Isaiah 41.10 says, don't be afraid. I'm with you. Don't be discouraged. I'm your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. You are never alone. In that alone place, you're not alone. God says, I'm there. I got you. I'm holding you up with my right hand. I know sometimes in our life we pray, oh God, where are you? And he's right there in the spirit screaming at you, but you can't hear him because you're so distracted by what's happening in your life or Facebook or social media or whatever. He's screaming at you, I'm right here. I'm with you. You're not alone. I, I died, my son died on a cross so I could get to you in that place. He also promises, David says this in Psalms 50, then they, 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 they call on me, God says to David, then call on me when you are in trouble, I will rescue you and will give, you will give me glory. Like, God will answer your prayers. God will answer your prayers. You're like in his contact list, you call, your face pops up, boom, he goes, oh, it's Michael. He probably wants something. That's kind of how that goes. <laughs> he follows your feet. He knows all about you. And when you pray to him, he answers you. I know what it's like to feel like he isn't answering. I don't want you to think that I don't know that. I'm just a simple guy. Anybody who knows me, that I'm simple, kind of crass, sometimes a bit inappropriate. <laughs> but I know what it's like to, to be there and say, God, where are you? And not be able to hear him say, I'm right here. And to ask him for things and feel like he's not answering. But I've learned. I've learned something. One, I've learned that God is a chatterbox. I'm not kidding. You're sitting there going, I don't think we know the same God. We do, we do, we do. I'm just telling you, God's got a lot to say. This morning I was praying about this service. And uh, I, was, I was praying about this message. I'm like, God, is so much. I'm going to lose them and, and all these kind of things. And, and God just started hitting me with some ideas for things to talk about, some things to pray about. He showed me how he wanted this service to, to end and, and those kind of things. And, and I'm like, ah, stop. You need to slow down. I can't keep track of all this stuff. I'm not that smart. 
He says, don't worry, I am. He said, I'm better than Google. I got this. <laughs> he says, but I am listening. Anyway, so <laughs> that was funny to me, not to you. So anyway, <clears throat> he's, he's there. He says, he'll never leave you. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. That's what God said. I will never fail you. That's what God said. I will never fail you. I know, man. I know the voice. God failed you. God let you down. God did this. It comes against everything God says. But because you, you think it and because you see it in your life and you see it in your circumstance and you have this, this enemy twisting the facts into lies, you start to believe that God is not good. Oh, yeah, you get, a, get together in church and we'll say, God is good. And you're like, yeah, you're there. He's good all the time. But out tomorrow, I know what happened. You know, like, I don't know if God's going to be good to me today. He's good all the time, and he'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He will be faithful to you. When he got into you, he got into you. He's committed to you. He was not surprised. He did not walk in the door of your life and go, oh, I didn't know this was here. That didn't happen. And so when he got committed to you, he says, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You are a work in progress, and God is doing that work, and he's committed to finishing that work. This is God in your life right now. And, and most of you are sitting there feeling like God is a thousand miles away. And here God is always around you. He's with you. This is, this is the gospel. I'm going to divert out a sermon. It's going to make it longer uh, Get over it. <sighs> Romans 10. i got to read this to you. I tried to quote it earlier, and I've read out of so many translations nowadays, I can't quote stuff half the time. But the Bible says in Romans 10, verse 6, by the way, Romans 10, 9 and 10, you're probably fairly familiar with. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. We're somewhat familiar with those two verses, but... Those verses are in a paragraph, okay? That means they're in the middle of an idea, and, and when we share them in the gospel, we're plucking them out of an idea. And so here's the, some more of that idea. There's a bit more to it, but if we back up to verse 6, Paul writes, But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, Who will go down to the place of the dead? to bring Christ back to life again. In fact, it says, the message is very close at hand. It's on your lips and in your heart. And the message is this very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's the gospel. That's Paul summarizing the gospel into a few verses. The problem is we like to lock those verses back at the beginning of our Christian journey. And the gospel is for all of your Christian journey. So some of you are in things right now that you're discouraged by. Maybe it's a health thing. Maybe it's a relationship thing. Maybe it's a money thing. It can be all kinds of things. And you're in this situation. But you have been, the enemy has tricked you into thinking that the gospel only applies back here, back for, for sinners. But that's not how the gospel applies. The gospel declares that Jesus is Lord. 
So here's what to do with your current situation. Here's some real practical advice. You ready? You look at that situation. Look it over good. And instead of getting sad about it, it's time to start getting happy about it. It is. Why? Because the bigger the problem, the greater the opportunity for God to do something amazing, right? How many of you want to see God do something amazing? I want to see God do something amazing. That's why I signed on, man. I wanted to be part of this trip, okay? I know he wins. I read the last chapter. Jesus wins. Good. I'm good to go, okay? But I want to see this journey. So look at your problem. It's, a, it's probably big. Some of you probably got some big, hairy problems. And you've probably been sitting at home, rather than, than, than looking at the problem in God, through God's eyes, through, G, through the gospel, you've been looking at it through human eyes. You're going, there's no way. No way. And you've got some demon in your life walking in there, too. No way. Can't beat this one. Not even God's big enough for this one. He won't help you. That's the lies he tells, right? Those are lies. Those are lies. That is not true. So here's where the gospel comes in. <laughs> and here's where we mess it up. We're always like, God, here's my big problem. I need Jesus to come and deal with this problem. Here's the problem with that prayer. You can't drag Jesus down from heaven. Why? He already came. I need Jesus to resurrect and walk into this problem. You can't do that either because he already did it. Here's the funny thing. You're praying over this problem, asking God to get involved, and God's standing right next to you going, hey, hey, right here, right here. Jesus is going, I'm Lord over this problem. Confess it. Confess it. State it. Say it. Jesus is Lord over my bank account, over my marriage, over my kids, over my job. Over my health. There is nothing in this life that Jesus is not Lord over. Amen? That's right. So start saying it, man. Jesus is Lord over this. The enemy's going to lie, but you know what it is now, don't you? You know all about that dude now. You, you know his tricks. He's just a liar. And when you hear a lie from the enemy, now you can rejoice because you've been given some truth. And you have enough truth to know, ah, the enemy's lying to me. He must be scared. Does that make sense? See what's going on now. Now, he's a good liar. There are going to be situations that you're going to stand up in, and you're going to stand in your faith, and you're going to rebuke the enemy, bind him, send him to Jesus for judgment, what, however you deal with that. But the enemy's a good liar, and he's going to stand there as long as he can. He's going to try and intimidate you into quitting because that's the only trick he's got in the book is for you to shut up for you to stop standing in your authority in jesus christ that's the only trick he's got so he's going to stand there maybe it's sickness maybe it's money problems he's going to stay there as long as he can did you remember i told you a while ago about elijah praying for seven seven serious prayer times over rain that god told elijah to pray for okay so we Christians today, we do not lack power because we have the power of God inhabiting us. What we lack is persistence, okay? We want God to work like our microwave. Pop it in, three minutes later you got popcorn. Bam! That's how I want God to work. But that is not how it works. The enemy's over there unplugging the microwave, going, no, I'm still here. Okay? So persist. Persist in what is true about you. And I have a lot more I need to show you about what is true before we're done here. So God will be faithful to complete those works in your life. God is with you. Romans 8:31, you know it well. 
What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Seriously, come on. All the demons of hell can't stand against you. They lie to you and make you cower when they're actually afraid of you. Papa loves you, guys. He loves you just like he loved Jesus. Do you think he loved Jesus a lot? How do you love your kids? How do you love your sons or daughters? And you've never lived in perfect union with them as Father did with the Son, does with the Son. You've never lived in that perfect harmony with your children, and yet you love them so much you'd lay down your life for them in a heartbeat, no matter how old they are. And so your Father loves you. John told us in John 17, 23, Jesus said, I am in thee, them, you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. That's how much your Father loves you. That is the truth. That is the truth. Your Father has given you the same glory that he gave Jesus. The Bible says in John 17, 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so they'll be one as we are one. Salvation, this is a good deal, isn't it? You're loved. God's poured his glory on you. God isn't ashamed of you. Where does shame come from? It doesn't come from love. It doesn't come from love. It doesn't come from God. It doesn't come from your father. It comes from your enemy. It comes from the flesh. Hebrews 2.11, now Jesus and the ones he makes holy have the same father. Whew. Oh, my goodness. That's good. That is why Jesus is not ashamed to call them his brothers and sisters. This is your life now. Get used to it. Get used to being loved. Get used to God's glory on your life. Get used to favor. You're his favorite. Things are going to work out for you. Not all the time. Yes, sometimes things are going to go bad. And the enemy's going to attack. But you're still God's favorite. Oh, any of you parents have a favorite child? Don't say anything out loud. I just, just want to. They're not your favorite. They're just the one you like. Anyway, so, <laughs> Ephesians, I want to read Paul's prayer to you, and then I'll finish and sniff some more. I love this prayer. It's in Ephesians three fourteen through 22. You should write it down. You should read it a lot. When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father. Just think of all the stuff we just talked about, guys. This is what Paul's talking about. When I think of how good this is, it wipes me out. And I pray to my Father, creator of everything in heaven and earth, and I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand... <laughs> Paul is praying you have the power to understand something, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep God's love is. May you experience the love of Christ. It's too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's Paul's prayer 
for you and I. That prayer is designed and sought and seeks God to conform you to the image of His Son because that's the aim, that's the goal, that's God's target for your life. And in all of that, He wants to fill you with Himself. Not, he doesn't want to just give you a taste of Him. He wants to fill you with the fullness of Him, overflow you with Him. As I share that with you, I, I really hope it makes you hungry. Because this is how God brings many sons to glory. Now you see the genius of God's plan. Because I used to think, man, Jesus is God. He could have just stayed here, resurrected from the dead, taken a platform, got on some news broadcast or something like that, and bam, the whole world would have flocked to him. But that is not how God works. That is not how this works. This was not God's plan. Instead of God putting one Jesus on the planet for one, the whole world to look at, God chose to put Jesus in all of his kids. And everywhere they go, they represent Jesus Christ. Think about this for a second, guys. Think about all that I've told you, all that's in you, all the power of God that inhabits every believer in this room right now. Think about that, that it's there. Now, how do people like us not change the world? Think about this. We have so much power in us that we could really shake the foundations of our city, of our country, of our world because we have the power of God in us. And here's Jesus saying, hey, the stuff I did, it was cool, but you're going to do greater stuff than that. Really? How does that work? You're like, well, I guess we'll go to church more than Jesus. <laughs> that ain't what he meant, man. So today, we're here together. I pray you're encouraged. I pray you have hope. I hope you got some crazy ideas rolling in your head now. I hope you're like sitting there, oh man, God can do anything. God can do anything. This is awesome. God can do anything. But I also recognize that you may be facing some things that are big and scary. And you may be looking at those things going, I don't, I, don't see, I don't see God doing anything. I don't see what he said in what I'm living. Elijah was a human being just like you. And yet, he prayed earnestly. God had... Only one son who lived without sin, but no sons who live without prayer. And so, guys, what I'm going to challenge you to do today as we wrap this up is I'm praying you're encouraged, and I'm asking God to take this seed and turn it into this giant mustard tree in your life that just causes the enemy so much headache. What I'm going to ask you to do today is, for those of you who have got that big thing, get prayer. I'm going to ask my prayer guys when the worship team comes up for them to go over there. And we may need some extra, so all you guys who help, just look up. I just want to be available. Miss Linda's going to be over here. Guys, all I want to ask you to do who are praying for people, just believe. Nothing's impossible. So I just don't, don't leave this place without praying. Without somebody who can lift you up in prayer, because we're in this together. It's the church that embarrasses not just you or me. You know what I'm saying? It's us together. And you need it. 
And we need to do it for each other. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you blow my mind. You are so much bigger than anything I ever could imagine. I want to thank you for what you've done in this message today. Thank you for taking these ideas that were pasted together at best and turning them into the heart of the Father for his beloved children. Thanks for letting me do that, and I know it's the last thing I deserve, but I praise you for this wonderful grace that is greater than anything. I'm, I'm lifting up these lives. Some have not placed their faith in you yet. They need to come to you and say, Father, I know I'm a sinner. I've been on the throne of my life, and I, I, re I repent that. I let that go. I want Jesus in my life, and I'm following Christ. That's the kind of prayer they need to pray, and they need to do it today and get on track and experience the Holy Spirit walking in their door. But there are also people here with big, hairy problems. Change our hearts about these Stop the fear. End it. I bind fear in Jesus' name and I release joy. Lord, if you could send people out that door today with joy over the, the problems that are manifest in their life, that this is an opportunity for the Father to do the impossible and that the Father wants to do that thing and change hearts and build faith. I pray that you would do that and move in that. And I pray for every heart in this room that they've... They've at least experienced a bit of your presence this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand. Don't delay. Let's get pray.